Okay, could you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Today is sort of an unexpected Easter reading. We're in Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what he was saying. <laughs> While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came down from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen, listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. join me in prayer, please. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we come to you knowing um, when we celebrate the light that is Christ, the, the victory and the joy of Resurrection Sunday, that we come here to celebrate every Sunday, not just on Easter Sunday. Um, we know, Lord, that the joy and the happiness that some of us who have this faith in Christ experience um, we, we know that some of us still stand on the, on the dark side of the resurrection and that um, we still suffer with our bodies that are racked with pain and sometimes disease. Um, we experience loss and death, um, just the, the pressure, the heaviness of life sometimes weighs on us. So we want to pray for those this morning who are feeling lonely because of a loss of a husband or a child who maybe struggle to even get here this morning because of pain in their body. God, we, we want to surrender ourselves to you. And we want to trust and believe, Lord, that this is but temporary. And that because Jesus is alive, so will we be. Jesus' name. We pray these things. Amen. I feel like this is just a touch loud, so we can just maybe turn it down a hair. That would be great. Um, it is not the typical text that you might hear read at a service um, on Easter Sunday, which, which in the life of the church historically has been designated to celebrate in particular the resurrection of Christ. Uh, we, we know from scripture and also from church history that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ every Sunday. 
right? But there's this, there's this sense in which we, we take time of the year to, to make sure that there's sort of like pointed applications and understanding of the death and resurrection of Christ. So Good Friday and Maundy Thursday and Resurrection Sunday and these things enter into our calendar. Um, but we, let, let us not forget, though, friends, that when we gather as God's people every Sunday, we do it to remember that he is alive. Amen? Amen. The resurrection of Jesus is what Scripture instructs the church to celebrate and remember. It's why we gather. It isn't simply a historical event to impress us. God isn't simply just telling us about this in his word to show off his power. There's a specific reason why Jesus both died and was resurrected from the dead. The so the resurrection of Jesus has a profound significance to my life and to everybody's life. It matters that Jesus is alive. It's not just a miracle. It's so much more than that. Hopefully by the end of the service you'll see. It changes everything. In our text, as was mentioned, it's not a, a text we'd expect to hear at Easter, and I kind of knew that going in. Uh, but Jesus, if you read along with us, gives three disciples basically a window into what his resurrected life will be. This is sort of a precursor of the resurrection of Jesus. Okay? It's what will happen when Jesus lives again after he dies. It's a sneak peek into coming attractions, right? And by the way, this is the, the, it's not just a sneak peek, but the events that surround what's happening in this scene tells us why the resurrection matters, why it's important, what it is. Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, if you recall, the longest prayer that Jesus prays. He says, glorify me with the glory I had before the world was. Who? How dare he say such a thing? Unless he is God in the flesh. Right? Glorify me with the glory I had before the world was. At the resurrection of Christ, that which he emptied, he became a man. He was God that became a man to die for us. Was All of that privilege and power was restored. And Jesus, for a moment, gives the, these three disciples a window into what that means. He opens up his flesh, so to speak, and his face changed and shone with a bright light. The glory of Christ. This event is what theologians call the transfiguration. Have you heard this word before? Maybe if you're new to Christianity, um, you have not heard this word before. It just means to be transformed or changed. And it's a window into who Jesus was before he became a man, God, the Son of God, and who he will be restored to as the risen Son of Man. Okay? That's what the transfiguration is. It's a window into the glory that was restored to Jesus when his dead body began to breathe in that lonely, dark, and dusty tomb. There's a, there's a question, if you've ever read the Gospels. The Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? The first four books of the New Testament. And those books are all about the life of Jesus. 
who he is, what he did, what he said. Okay? And there's a, the, the early parts of the Gospels repeat this question over and over again. Who is this? Who is this that the wind and the sea obey him? Remember that? Who is this that he forgives sin? Only God can forgive sin over and over again. At the teaching and miracles of Jesus, the crowds were astounded, and the constant question is, who is this? Peter, in, we're in Luke chapter 9 right now, just a few verses back answers the question, who is this? He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And this passage is Jesus' response to Peter's answer. He says, you're right, Peter, and let me show you. Let me show you who I am. You see, you got an A on the test, but I want, you, I want that information to sink from your head to your heart. Now come with me. Let me show you something. The transfiguration true proves that Jesus actually is the Son of God, the Christ, the Savior. It points to the resurrection and what the resurrection would accomplish for us in its purpose. So the transfiguration, the resurrection, is to know three things. This is what we're going to talk about briefly this morning, okay? It's to know three things. The identity, who is Jesus, the identity, the work, what he came to do, and the call, what he says for us to do. So the identity, the work, and the call of Jesus. You guys ready? Okay, let's talk about it. This identifies who Jesus is. You know, if you notice, this passage has a lot of natural and supernatural and dramatic language. Fire and lights and voices from heaven and glory, all of this imagery. It's amazing, right? And the text is intentionally parallel, pointing back to another event that happened with Moses. Remember the guy that parted the Red Sea? Right? It's pointing us back to the Old Testament prophet Moses when he looked God face, when the back of the backside of God crossed over Moses. Moses said, God, I want to see you. Do you remember this in the Old Testament? There's this another scene on Mount Sinai where, where Moses specifically asks, I want to see your glory, God. And this is what happens. It's the same language. So the text is pointing us back to this Old Testament prophet Moses and his encounter with God on Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 33. It's all the same imagery, all the same language. God delivered the people of Israel from slavery. Do you remember how? What was there? Leading them through the day and then through the night. Glory cloud. You see, a column of smoke by day and fire by night was keeping Pharaoh's armies at bay so that Israel could escape. Do you recall? And this glory cloud protected them until they reached the Red Sea. You see, the, the nation of Israel was in slavery to Egypt for hundreds of years. And God sent the deliverer Moses. And when he left Is Egypt with the Israelites, the Egyptians changed their mind and started chasing them. And God protected them with this glory cloud. Lightning, clouds, voice of God, and glory. So friends, if we're going to understand this scene with Jesus and these three apostles or disciples, 
We need to understand what's happening to Moses. That's how we understand, that's how we compare them and understand what's going on. The glory cloud <clears throat> was a representation of the presence, power, and provision of God for Israel. It was basically a visual sort of image of God's presence. The same fire cloud, by the way, rested on the burning bush. Do you remember that story? When Moses sees this bush, it's on fire, but it's not being consumed. That fire was the presence of God, and it spoke to Moses. That same glory cloud, if you recall, God told Moses, I want you to build a tabernacle. It's like a tent, and I'm going to meet with you in that tent. And only certain people can meet with me, like priests, right? And when Moses was finished building this tent, you know where that glory cloud went? Into the Holy of Holies, the inner tent, where God would meet with the priests speak to them. You see, friends, it is, this cloud is the presence of God himself. So what is it doing in the Gospels? Why is it here with Jesus and these three guys on a mountain? Friends, in the Exodus story on Mount Sinai, after Moses met with God, remember, he, so he encountered God, God passed before him and he sees him. The Bible says he comes down out of the mountain and his face shone with a bright light that they had to put a veil over his face in Exodus chapter 34. But it's important to note that that was like reflected light. Moses was like the moon. He wasn't the sun. You see, the moon reflects light from the sun. It has no light in and of itself. It reflects light from the sun. So when Moses met with God, the reflected light came off of Moses so brightly that it hurt the eyes of the Israelites. They had to put a veil over his head. And if you recall, that the light that was on Moses was a diminishing light. It was a fading light. It didn't stay with him forever. Friends, this passage is telling us that Jesus is the light. He is not just reflecting light from God like Moses. He is the source. He's not the moon. He's the sun. You see, because with Moses, the light came down on him. But with Jesus, the light came out of him. He is the light. He's not like the moon reflecting it. He is the sun. The glory doesn't come down from the, the sky as it did with Moses, but out from Jesus, because Jesus is the source. Jesus, friends, is the presence and glory of God. Amen. He's not just another prophet, not, not just a, another wise guru. He was the fire on the bush. He was the cloud that led Israel to the Red Sea. He was the cloud that rested on the tabernacle. It was the pre-incarnate Son of God revealing himself to Israel and speaking to them. So when Moses heard the voice of God, he heard the voice of Christ. Isn't that incredible? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Friends, it's true, like Moses that we can reflect God's nature. In other words, we can learn something about God just by, just by interacting with his creation. 
There are places in scripture that talk about that. Psalm chapter 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Romans chapter 1 talks about that too. So God's created thing can sort of communicate a little bit of something about what God is like because he made us. So we can learn about God by what he has made because he's sort of in it a little bit, right? But that's not who Jesus is according to Hebrews. He is the exact representation of God. He's not simply like God in this or that way like we are. He is the being of life. He is the source of light perfectly revealed to us and the glory of his resurrection proves this it shows us who he is and this teaches us two things that I want to talk about fast okay the first thing that this teaches us number one is that he is not one more pilgrim or prophet trying to get closer to God he is the God that all pilgrims and all prophets are trying to get close to you see the difference Peter asks to set up three tents, and, and God sort of says, as like a footnote, he didn't know what he was talking about. Did you see that? He had no idea what was going on. But here, here's what's going on in Peter's mind. He's got Moses and Elijah with Jesus appearing from heaven, and by the way, they woke up. They were apparently sleeping during all this. So it just goes to show you, don't sleep during the sermon, because prophets might show up, and you'll miss it. All right? So if you get tired, stand up. All right. Peter asks to set up three tabernacles. He's got Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. He's got the 1992 Olympic Dream Team. Right? He's got Jordan Pippen, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird. I mean, this is who you want to see in a vision, right? So they want to keep this. They're walking away, and as they're waking up, they see Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus, and they wake up and say, we want to keep this experience going. We, we missed a lot of it. Can you stick around? We'll make a tent for each of you. And God responds, you guys don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're saying. And then, and then he verbally responds to this request from heaven with these words. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And with a flash, Moses and Elijah aren't even there anymore. They're like dust. They disappear. And Jesus is the only one that remains. You can't put God in a tent. Jesus, Moses, and Elijah are not the same. That's the message. Jesus is not equal to Moses and Elijah. That's what was sort of implied. Give a tent to each of them. You can't put Jesus alongside prophets. You can't put his face on a, on a pantheon alongside other pretend gods because he is the only God. He is our God. Jesus alone saves. He is your creator. He loves you and bids you to come to him. So he is not one more pilgrim trying to get closer to God. He is the God that all pilgrims are trying to reach. Jesus prayed, remember I said this before, restore unto me the glory I had before the world was. Who would say something like this? <laughs> if I said something like that, you'd think I was crazy. Trump will probably try to lock me up. He's saying that the, before the material universe existed, I was around. I was the glorious God that saw it all and made it all. And if this is true, he is not one among many prophets or sages. He is infinitely beyond them. Right? And if it's not true, 
he's not even close to those prophets. He's way behind them. Because he thinks he's something that he's not. See? There's this one, um, there's this really brilliant scholar, an Anglican scholar that writes this. How can you live with the terrifying thought that the hurricane has become a man? Right? The, the cloud, the thunder cloud, the glory cloud. That's what you see what he's getting at? How can you live with the terif terrifying thought that the cloud has taken on flesh? That the life has walked in our midst. Christianity, he says, is the most devastating disclosure of the deepest reality in the world, or it is a sham and a nonsense. Most people unable to cope with saying either of those things are condemned to live in the shallow world in between. Wow. Isn't that wonderful? What the resurrection teaches us is that Jesus is the final revelation of God's life. God in the flesh. The presence and glory of God. You have to reject him as insane or you have to take up your cross and follow him. It changes everything. The second thing Jesus' identity teaches us is that the only real Jesus is the glory of Jesus. It's not a de-glorified Jesus. And you know, in the early 20th century, so that's like the early 1900s, right? Most of the great, uh, I shouldn't say most, but a lot of the great thinkers of the church got together and started to reject the supernatural accounts of scripture as works of myth or fiction that were sort of added later on, right? Um, Rudolf Bultmann, many different scholars at this time started writing prolifically in all these different books. Um, I have one of them that I had to read in seminary in my office right now um, called The New Testament and Mythology. And he basically says, that, basically says that if it smells like a miracle in the New Testament, it was made up. It's, it's fake. It's a myth. But when you do this, Instead of having a Bible inspired by God, you're left with a flawed Bible in which we can take what we like and leave what we don't. It's not something that we truly can follow if it's just a work of fiction written by man. Instead of a Jesus who is God in the flesh, born of a virgin, virgin we have a spiritual guru, another kind of prophet that maybe said some good things and bad things. Instead of a resurrection, we have a symbol. When Jesus said, really rise from the dead, that's just a symbol of like, you know, good things come out of bad things. Right? Friends, that's not, that's not Christianity. That's decaf. Right? That does, that's got no power in it. There's a social study that reports, reported the following. In all the places in the world that have de-supernaturalized Christianity, the church is in significant decline. But in the places which hold to a historic and supernatural Christianity, the church is thriving. He says there are more Presbyterians in Korea than all of the United States and Scotland combined. Presbyterianism started in Scotland, by the way. So you'd expect them to have the most. But there are more Presbyterians in Korea than in all the United States and Scotland behind. There's more Episcopalians and Anglicans in Nigeria than all of the United States and England. Again, Anglicans and Episcopalians began in England. That's their origins. Well, think about it like this. When you think you're going to die as a Christian, you start to think about the, the reality of the resurrection. 
not a myth. Not, not something that's fake, right? You start to think about the resurrection of Jesus, not as a fake story that symbolizes something else. What comfort does that offer us when we're dying? Not, it offers none. So you begin to reflect, reflect on, is the resurrection really true? Did it really happen? Is this, is, this really, is this fake or is it real? And you start to rehearse the evidence behind the resurrection. Like women were the first witnesses. In the ancient Near East in this first century, they would never include that piece of information unless it were true. Because women weren't considered um, valid witnesses in court. So why is that in the Bible? Unless, unless it's true. Obviously, I don't agree with that, by the way. Don't shoot the messenger. It's just the way they were at the time. Right? But that's what was going on. But the, the New Testament writers put it in there because that's what happened. They were not about making stories up or covering things up. Luke chapter 1 says, we're writing an orderly account of the things which have happened, that there are eyewitnesses go and talk to them. And 1 Corinthians 15 written 20 years after the fact of Jesus' resurrection, says that 500 people saw Jesus alive from the dead. Generally, people don't have group hallucinations. And that number is just way too big for a conspiracy. Right? Someone would have said, yeah, no, no, we didn't really see him. Right? Maybe three could pull it off. But 500? Every single, you start thinking of that every disciple died because of the claim that they saw Jesus alive from the dead. So you start thinking about these things. Jesus really rose from the dead. It's not a work of fiction, it's real. It's history, it happened. So when we face death, this is what we rehearse as Christians, it's what we recall. Jesus is glorious, he's not just a dead prophet. He's an alive, glorious, light-giving prophet. The God, God who became us and rose from the dead and conquered it. Conquered it. Amen? So you, you know what this means? You don't have to be afraid. Because the Jesus that rose from the dead is the glorious one that the Bible talks about. He's real and he's alive. He's a supernatural, transfigured, glorious, resurrected Christ that will never die again. So the transfiguration tells us who Jesus is. It tells us about the work of Jesus, number two. Why did he do this? Kind of was hinting at it a little bit um, all throughout already. But what was he doing at his death and resurrection? This story that we read about Christ and his transfiguration on this mountain tells us, gives us a little bit of a hint as to what Jesus was doing when he died on the cross and rose again. In verse 30, 34, that cloud appears and it covers the disciples. What does the scripture say? They were very afraid when this happened. When the glory cloud, again, we've got to go back to Sinai now. We've got to go back to Moses. When the glory cloud leads the children of Israel to the Red Sea, then rests on Mount Sinai, God tells Israel, don't touch the mountain. Don't even let cattle touch it. And if you do, you're a dead sled. Right? No more life for you. Don't approach the cloud. Don't touch the cloud. The cloud is the presence of God. Can man see God and live? Because he is holy and we're sinful. There's a gap. There's a separation. So here comes the cloud, that cloud, and they're doing the math. That cloud is coming to them, and they're freaking out. Can you understand why now? Cows weren't even allowed to touch the cloud, right? Or, or they were, they're terrified. 
Friends, normally people, when they're trying to get closer to God, whether they're Christian or not, they start to sense a separation from God. Isn't that true? Like he's, he's there and I'm here and I'm trying to figure out how to know him and love him and who is he. And there's this separation. So all throughout history and the history of culture and religion, we build temples and we invent rituals and we have priests and we do sacrifices, all of, to, to somehow bridge the gap that we sense exists between us and God. Even Buddhism, by the way, which is essentially atheistic, but they believe in this sort of enlightened sense of we become the divine, right? But none of us, even in Buddha, Buddhism, no one is immediately that. It, this takes a lifetime of discipline, and, right? The idea is that there's something keeping us from God, from the divine. In, in our, our culture, I think, we might presume that being close to God is easy. It's automatic. Just say a prayer. He's there, hears us, and he gets us out of our jams. Right? But, but for centuries, God was distant, and we dare not approach him. And even to this day, even in our enlightened culture, we still know that God is distant. And we're trying to figure out how to be close to him. So here comes the cloud. Here comes the presence of God. A gap approaching, and they're terrified. They're freaking out. Like the cattle, they touch the cloud, but they don't die. What? They're supposed to be dead. They're supposed to die. Friends, God told Moses, no one can see my face and live because God is holy and we're sinful. Take off your shoes. The ground that you're walking on is holy, right? This is what Dr. Keller comments. The transfiguration is teaching us that Jesus is not just the God we seek to approach. He is the way to approach him. You see? He's not just the distant God that we want to know. He's the one that bridges the gap in between us and him. Isn't that wonderful? These three didn't offer a sacrifice. They weren't without sin. They didn't do all the things religions tell, tell us to do to, to earn their way to God's high mountain and be like him, right? They were without all of that. They weren't enlightened. There was no sheep that, that they had killed, right? They had done none of the work to reach God's sandy and holy shore. So how is it that they're in his presence? Because God came to them in their weakness, in their frailty, to their shore. And in his unmerited favor and grace through the death of Jesus and his resurrection forgave us. Isn't that wonderful news? The cloud kissed the disciples. And they lift. Jesus was everything and is everything that we are not. We don't deserve to be in the presence of God. All have sinned and fallen short of his glory. But Jesus is alive. The one who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of Christ. Isn't that great news? Moses and Elijah talk with Jesus about his departure. Did you see that? His exodus. That's what it is in the Greek language. I'll say this again. Moses <laughs> is talking to Jesus 
about Jesus' exodus. It's ironic, right? The death and resurrection of Jesus is the better exodus. It's the one that Moses' exodus points to. Moses' exodus is just a symbol of a deeper spiritual and heavenly reality. We are in the slavery of sin, and Jesus Christ, the better Moses, is here to rescue us. Right? Amen? That's what this is all about. That's what's happening. Moses liberated people from social slavery, but Jesus, who is the better Moses, who's the one that all prophets point to, he liberates us from sin and death itself. So he's not just the God on the other side of the gap. He's the bridge over it. Amen? Amen. Okay, now what? Oh, this is good. So what is the call of Jesus that we see here in the scripture? What's the third thing? This passage tells us <clears throat> about the identity of Jesus, the work of Jesus, and it also tells about the call. In other words, what do we do now? What does this have to do with, what, how do I respond to this? The first thing that this clearly tells me, number one, is that Jesus is priority, number one. When the dust settles, the disciples are left with only Jesus. Friends, if Jesus is not one person in one booth with a lot of other booths and a lot of other prophets, if he stands alone, it changes everything. It means that we need to completely reorient our lives to him, to trust and follow him. That's why the voice of God, what did it say? Listen to him. Follow him. And if we're going to listen to him, it means that we're not listening to each other, that we're not listening to our inner voice. We're listening to Jesus. Listen to him. Heed the voice of Christ. Not my will, Jesus said, but thy will be done. And how often we reverse this, isn't that true? <laughs> my, not thy will, but my will be done. And we use Jesus like he's Santa. The glory of Jesus calls us to priority, and the second thing it calls us to is to pray. Let me explain. <clears throat> you might, if you're a Christian here, so far you've probably been agreeing with almost all of this, right? <laughs> if that, that is if maybe you're part of the particular kind of Christianity that is familiar, that, that you've heard this before, okay? You're saying yes, amen. I'm hearing a lot of amens, right? <laughs> now, I've been always told um, not to rush with power tools, right? Like, so you're using, like, a saw. Um, be slow. They're dangerous, right, obviously. I've never disagreed with this. I've always sort of had a logical, okay, yes, sir, that makes sense. I've, I've never said, no, I can put my hand on that and be fast and irresponsible. I've always just kind of agreed with that statement. Right, that you know, power tools are dangerous. Know how the how the machine works and take your time, right? Um, but I tended still, even with my knowledge of this, I tended still to disregard it, right? Until a few days ago, I told you some of the story already. But I was using um, a, a miter saw, chop saw. So you know what those are? Come down like this, in my garage. And I was a bit of, in a bit of a hurry. I was making a fire for my kids, and I, I, I'm impatient. 
sometimes, believe it or not. So I'm like, zip, 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 zip. Let's get this done so we can build this fire, get, get dinner, and go to bed, right? Like, um, so I'm, I'm making this thing. I'm not paying attention. I'm in a flurry. I release the trigger, right? And I, and I let the thing up, let it go, and I rapidly turn like this. And I nicked this finger right here. And it started to bleed pretty bad. And I'm like, all I could see was blood. I'm like, is this thing half off? Because I couldn't see anything. And I'm like, this could be bad. Thankfully, it wasn't that bad. But I could have cut my finger off. <laughs> I knew it. I knew I could have cut my finger off. It was a very sobering moment for me. And in a sense, I'm a new man. Right? Because what happened was, that knowledge that was up here, it did something. It took a little trip. It went like this. It went from here to here, right? I don't just know it now. I know it. <laughs> so chances are I'm, I'm going to be more careful and take my time because I know the consequence if I don't, right? I, I heard a pastor give his congregation a pop quiz once, and I'm going to give you the same quiz, okay? You ready? True or false? You ready, class? Yes. All right. Cool. <laughs> The Lord of the universe became a man. He died for sinners. He rose from the dead to have a relationship with you. True or false? True. True. That's true. Good job. Okay. That's it. <laughs> no, there's more. Uh, true or false? Um, <laughs> because, because of Jesus, God finds you an absolute delight, loves you, and assures you of a heavenly home with him. True. true. So why can't you be critiqued? Why are you anxious? Let me just take this out of the second person. Okay? Why am I unable to be critiqued? Why am I anxious? Why do we have addictive habits? Why do we have to prove ourselves to people? The people, to Moses and Elijah, who disappear. Why can't we wait for marriage? Right? You know what I mean? Why are we irritable and harsh and jealous and angry? You see, because something's got to happen, right? This has got, this, what we have here about Jesus has got to do this. You might get an A on the test, but it's got to sink down into your soul, into your heart. We don't need to just agree with the statements about Jesus, that he's the unique son of God. We need to see his glory. Peter, James, and John saw it that day. You need to see it. He needs to become more weighty. That's what glory means. More weighty, more real, more renowned to you. More weighty, more renowned than the critique or affirmation of other people. You see? And how? Well, in verse 29, in verse 29, as he was praying, the glory came. Friends, pray every day. If you want it to go from here to here, the Bible tells us, pray. So, well, that's not how, I, why, have the, why has that never happened to me? It will. Endure. Pray. As he was praying, the glory came. As you seek Christ, friends, he shines on you. He will do it.
a promise. <clears throat> the glory of Christ is a <clears throat> gives us the call. Um, the glory of, of Jesus calls us to priority, to pray, and to lastly, and we'll close with this, to rest in your adoption. Rest in your adoption. Let me explain to you what, what I mean. The voice comes from heaven, and what does it say? This is my beloved son. This is my beloved son. Friends, to see the glory of God, to know the glory of God, for it to come to here, to here, for, for it to go from here to here, this is what it does. It affirms that we are the children of God, loved by a heavenly father. And what does that mean? We're safe. We're loved, we're adored, we're the apple of his eye. See, that's what, that's what this means. It says um, in Romans of Jesus in chapter 1, verse 4, he who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Friends, the glory of Jesus in his resurrection affirms his identity as the son of God the divine son. And when we are, when we share in his resurrection, that's what the Bible says, when you put faith in Jesus, Romans 6 says you share in his resurrection, you also share in his sonship. Not as the naturally, the natural son of God, but the adopted children of God. See? The glory of Jesus in his resurrection affirms his identity as the divine son and it confers on us believers should you surrender to him by faith that you are in a familial relation of adoption with the same father that is Christ's. Isn't that great news? Oh, if that confused you, listen to it again. Go home and listen to this again and repeat it because it's beautiful. The believer in Jesus Christ at our, at our resurrection shares in kinship with Christ. We are the children of the Father of all creation. Amen. So that means this. What you need to hear more than anything else, what you need to hear more than anything else is the voice of God saying to you, this is my beloved child. Right? You don't need your dad to say that to you or your mom to say that to you or a man or a woman to say that to you. You are my beloved. You don't need a romantic encounter to be affirmed like this. You need the father of all creation to pronounce on you the same verdict that he did Jesus Christ. And when you put repentant faith in him, he will. So come and get it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess to you this morning as believers in Christ, oh God, our knowledge sometimes is up here and we need it to come to our hearts. Fill us with your spirit, God, so that we can see in Christ the glory and sonship that is ours. I pray, Lord God, that we would remember who Jesus is the work that he came to do, and the call on us to follow him. Friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ in a saving way, come and get him. Cry out to him. I'm a sinner. I'm far from you. There's a gap, but I understand now that it's not my religion or good works. 
that bridges it. It's Jesus. Mm. Come and get it, friend. Cry out to God, Jesus, save me. I'm a sinner. Save me. Make me alive. Show me your glory. God, thank you that Jesus is risen and that he is coming again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.